0: You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. I'm just going to assume that it's Global Trade This Week because our counter (laughs) went to five and stopped everybody. This is how sad I am. I'm I'm almost like Ron, not Jeremy, which was was it? uh, Ron Burgundy. Ron Burgundy. Ron Burgundy. You could say, yeah, I I need the four, three, two, one, and then go. That's how pathetic I am, but it's another classic episode. I'm going to call this an epic episode Mm. just 60 seconds in, Doug. That's how good this episode's going to be of global trade this week. Uh, I'm Pete Mento, and um, I'm calling myself Typhoid Larry this week. What you guys don't get the benefit of is the, um, the platform that we record this on asks us for a name, Doug, because he is the straight man of the two of us, Always just says Doug Draper. Every week I come up with a new name. This week I'm Typhoid because I am still sick. Everyone, um, after a week, uh, and then with me, of course, is Doug Draper, the uh, the wind beneath my wings. Doug, yep, you are. Yeah, thank you. My it's, happiness.
1: Uh, new Times Roman is the is the font that I use because that's the most basic font that's out there. So uh, yeah, I, I'm I am always Doug Draper, and you are always something to. Uh, to behold with uh, whatever name you come up with, I don't think that our listeners can see that. So no,
0: they can't. But Doug, d- yeah. do you do you sort of when you get a little too much ketchup on your French fries, you have to do one of these because it's a little too spicy? Are no, you that little Western?
1: That is no, 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 no.
0: I'm 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 a spice guy. So whenever I hear someone say that, then I take them to like an Indian restaurant, and you can watch them about like you could literally watch them come close to crapping their pants while they're having the first course. <laughs> yeah. So are we, are we that kind of, I like spice or are we the, Oh, I just love a little hot sauce on everything. Kind of. I like spice.
1: No, I would. Yeah. I don't know if I'm, um, uh, Thai spice. You know what here? Yeah, what not Thai. Was it? Indian, Indian. No, I, I don't, I don't eat it enough to have any baseline comparison, oh, so. but good. I was up in steamboat a couple, it was last summer. And I don't know what I was thinking. They brought out some wasabi, and I thought mm. it was like yogurt or like apple butter or something. And I just laid that thing on, mm. and I thought I was literally going to die. My heart was racing. <laughs> I had to go outside, and it was—I—I I, I was panicked. Not only was it spicy, but my body was shutting down, and I was like, "Oh my oh. god, this could be—I mean, a lot of wasabi."
0: That sounds great when you have like a sinus congestion. It definitely opens everything up, uh that stuff's great, yeah, I'm a big fan. I've been eaten Indian food since I was you know itty bitty and i, I always I, I do have friends in India that do watch the show, Doug, and they oh, will tell you they will tell you that uh I definitely I definitely fight the fight for us there there are there there are just things that I cannot keep up with, but I definitely fight the fight for us. I try really hard, bud yeah, yeah. yeah well anyway, as I stated. I think this is going to be an instant classic. Maybe Keenan could do some graphics. You know, instant classic of global trade this week, brought to you by our good friends at Cap Logistics. And uh, you have the great honor of giving us our first topic this week. So what yeah. do we got, buddy?
1: Well, the pressure's on for sure with Epic. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a capital E or just underscore the whole word. Well, I don't know. We'll you know, figure it's so, that out.
0: It's so Epic, Doug, we could just go lowercase, honestly. Yeah,
1: there you go. I like yeah. it. I like it. Well, the first topic on this epic episode is uh, happened about a week and a half ago. Uh, British P- Petroleum, BP, decided to purchase uh, TA truck stops. Kind of uh, at least, you know, I like to think I'm somewhat in the know of our industry and logistics. I had not even heard this was on the radar on any level. And then started thinking about, like, why would they do that? My initial take, Pete, was, all right, they're going to push more gas through their system and really go from there. But I was 100% wrong this is absolutely a renewable play. Um, and the, the reason that is, and I think it's kind of cool, Pete, I gave you a hard time or kind of these crazy analogies you come up with, but here's one I'm going to do really, really quick, right? So I've always talked about you, you in life need to focus on the 50 feet ahead of you versus the 15 feet in front of you. And I learned that from some guys I went mountain biking with because they were always faster than I was. And they watched me climb up this hill and they realized that my gaze was, right in front of me, not ahead of me. <clears throat> and um, that's what BP's doing on this one is they're really understanding the impact and the power of um, of the renewables that is not going away and it's gonna continue to to be prevalent. So here's the three takeaways on this one. Pete, number one, all that being said, this is somewhat of a real estate play, right? They are getting infrastructure through the purchase uh, or through the, the uh, waving of a, of a pen to have some infrastructure built in the network across the United States so they can then add changing stations and other type of services that are related primarily to the commercial aspect of uh, the electrification of the supply chain. So it's going to be a hell of a lot easier to come in and, and kind of retrofit, if you will, existing infrastructure versus trying to go in there and build from scratch. So this, in my opinion, is somewhat of a real estate play the other thing, Pete, that we've talked about is if is another example of owning the rails, right? If you're vertically integrated, you have more control. And I think that we saw that as a trend during the COVID supply chain disruptions where uh, relying on others may not be the best play in that moment. And I think the trend is continuing. So it's a vertical integration going from essentially, um, you know, going from whenever they dig. You know, pull the, the oil out of or the the, uh, the oil out of the ground to refining it to taking it all the way down to the consumer, um, and then they can also control that supply chain and uh, additional fuel alternatives, um, whether that is biodiesel and other things. <clears throat> excuse me, just beyond the electrification, so it's controlling the vertical supply chain. Um, that control gives you more power and and, uh, and flexibility, and the last thing. Um, is kind of related to all the credits and the carbon offsets that are out there. That essentially, if you think about it, and I'm gonna have to explain this the best way, but they control it. Like I said, from the time it comes out of the ground to the time that it gets put in the truck, and there's so many incentives along the way. If you are um, uh, refining, transporting, engaging in using uh, fuel that is, uh, uh, you know, alternative and and less impactful to uh, to the environment. There's credits and offsets and, and abilities to buy, sell and trade um, that they're putting themselves in a position. So they're not having to drop huge amounts of money because they uh, uh, consumed more than they offset. So we're talking about a real estate play. We're talking about vertical vertical integration and then the carbon offsets and that whole trend of what's going on. I think it's beautiful. And they looked 50 feet ahead of them, not 15 feet in front of them. I'm a big fan of this one. Big fan.
0: Yeah, the uh, there's that great Wayne Gretzky quote, right? Um don't go where the puck is, go where the puck's going to be. And uh this is this is this is like the three-level chess bit, you know. Uh you've got a bunch of levels here. So the first is with BP's former major investment in Siberia, where they were deep drilling, deep exploring, they were deep extracting and deep distributing oil out of a part of Russia that I mean there's a reason why they sounded everybody there, right? It's it's pretty remote and desolate. Well they're not anymore. So they're they're precluded from transacting business in that part of Russia because of the deep sanctions that are currently going on there. It frees up a lot of money. Not to mention the fact that they've had record profits now for gosh knows how long. They've been one of the leaders and trying to find ways to convert mm-hmm. their business to renewables—that all makes sense in what you were saying. You know that 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 movement towards trying to find new ways to make money—it it reminds me of, um, you know, this this GM executive when when people said, "Why are we getting into financing? That's a, that's a bank thing." And He said, "Because we can sell them the car twice." I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, "Because some of these people." They're gonna pay as much in financing as they're gonna pay for the car. So why wouldn't we wanna get involved in this? We're gonna sell them the car twice. This is a way for them to continue to make money on selling diesel fuels, on selling their gasolines, their products, while also slowly converting into getting people used to the idea of going to British Petroleum, of going to BP, to buy electrical services, swap outs, um, when when that is eventually the case. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's a brilliant idea, like you said. And then also, I'm going to borrow a Doug Draperism. It's the rails. It's it's the rails. It's the connectors. It's mm-hmm. the it's that that deeper meaningful part of the business that Carnegie, Rockefeller, that these guys taught Americans when they became the robber barons. When you can control the entire supply chain from raw materials that come out of the ground all the way to when it's actually consumed, you are indefatigable. You are undefeatable as a business. Mm -hmm. So if you're able to start from the point where they're mining, they're developing the product, they're delivering the product, they're making it available to someone, recycling it and all of that going all the way back to the chain, they're setting themselves up to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that really is, like you said, it's, it's being forward thinking, it's a great investment, and I've got a feeling they're not going to be the only company who decides to do that.
1: Excuse me. Yeah, I think it's perfect. I think we're on the same page there. All right, epic episode uh, number two.
0: So here's an acronym that people hear all the time and probably don't understand, and that's the OECD. Um, the OECD stands for the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Um, the OECD is sort of like a NATO Of uh, economics and the OECD is constantly cooperating in two key ways. The first is suggesting developments of policy in order to get different countries to align, focus, guide, and direct their countries' economies towards the betterment of global society. That's okay. I mean, it's a pretty big, Mm -hmm. almost Star Trek kind of idea, right? Peace to the whole world kind of a thing. Uh, And the second thing they do is they swap statistics which honestly is a whole lot more useful in the short term. I don't know if a bunch of countries are able to really bring world peace about through economies uh, in the short term, but boy are they great at swapping statistics. And the latest OECD statistics really had a lot more gloom and doom than usual. OECD statistics are unlike any other kind of statistics in that they're not scrubbed for any political purpose. So for the most part, Doug, whenever I get like the US real estate report or the unemployment report, or even our export analysis, I'm always looking for how somebody screwed around with it. But with OECD import and export numbers, they're homogenous. These are these are raw numbers, and they are what they are, man. Mm. And unfortunately, the Q422 numbers were crappy crap crap. They were not good, man. So just about every country in the world came back with both negative import and negative export numbers, drastically so, compared not only to the year before, but compared to global economic estimates. So not only were they worse than the year before, which was to be expected, but they were worse compared to the estimates that most economists believed that they would be. With one exception, and that was the United States, which had uh, an an increase in both uh, the exports and the uh, total value of services, as well as an increase based against the estimates. So who cares? Well, we all care, and the reason for that is because America is still an economy that's very much so based on services, and compared to the rest of the world, that means that our services sector is still relatively strong. So that's a good indicator. It's also a problem because for all the doom and gloomers like me that say the recession is coming, this actually, it kind of sticks a finger in the eye of people who are so pretty damn sure the recession is coming. This um, this may be an indicator that a, uh, a pretty nasty recession is not as likely as either no recession at all or a very light recession. So these are fascinating numbers that nobody seems to be talking about because I watch the news, watch it a lot. I read the news too. These numbers are four days old. And I think we're the only people on the internet physically talking about them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think they're, we're the only one talking about it. Yeah, uh, because they are so cumbersome. You have to have some, um, some knowledge, some depth to get in there and really understand what they are. They're not are you polished. You're not a Dork, rid- Doug. You, you think
0: you're calling me a nerd right now?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I'll be the straight man. You can be the dork on this one. This is an epic episode, by the way. So epic. It should be good. Yeah. Um. Yeah. My only take on that one, Pete, is you nailed it in the sense that. Um, European Union to to uh uh to to the same degree but Americans just consume 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 and what they've been consuming is services right we've talked about from uh from from during the covid is it the whole thing is goods and services and goods were gobbled up during covid when everybody was inside and we always use the peloton as the example um and then it switched over to services when um uh, when people could finally get out out into the world and enjoy the experience economy, and I think that's just kind of uh, uh, of what you're seeing uh, seeing there on the trailing information. Um, there's not as many experiences going on in in some of the other uh, very large com- India China things of that nature. So I think that's uh, a telltale sign. How that relates, Pete, the thing about this show is that we're very honest with each other. The thing about is that an indicator of a recession? Uh, I I don't have any really comments on that. Uh, I'm not that nerdy. And I usually just like my hot sauce, like medium hot.
0: So uh, that's kind of how I'll leave with that one. Fair enough, Doug. I guess we'll (laughs) leave that. And by the way, I love my Peloton. I've got my my Peloton treadmill about a month ago. I absolutely adore it. It's it's incredible. The whole family uses it. Um, I'm not such a big fan of these really excitable teachers, though. Come on, Mm. you can do it. Uh, No, I can't. I'm very tired. Can't we That's all a, just uh, sit down for a minute?
1: The bellwether, Pete, will be uh, when you do your colds and laundry. How many of those are hanging on the end of the none. of the Peloton treadmill? Um, so we'll just that, that'll be the gauge factor over the next couple of months.
0: None, none. I Good. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I thoroughly enjoy it.
1: Good, nice. So all right. That
0: brings us to uh, to halftime. Doug, you taking halftime this week?
1: Yeah, yeah. Of course, it's brought to us by Cap Logistics. Um, they're the ones that are pushing the buttons and making this thing happen and give us the platform to uh, say what we want and give the audience uh, our uh, personal opinions on things. So thank you, Cap Logistics. Please visit it at caplogistics.com. So that being said, um, I don't know. We both have some interesting ones here, Pete. I don't know. Why don't you just go first on yours?
0: Okay. So um, we were talking before the show started about uh, movies. I went and saw the latest Marvel movie, which I didn't really care for. It was okay. Uh, and as a Marvel movie guy, I expect more from Marvel movies, but my daughter asked me a fun question. She said, if you could be a character in any movie and get to live that movie, what would it be? And, um, I had a lot of fun with this Mm. and I actually, I, you know, there were some obvious choices, but, um, I thought that'd be a fun question to ask you, Doug. Mm-hmm. So if you could be a character in any movie or any movie series or anything like that, what, what character in what movie would you want to be, bud?
1: Yeah, it is a great one. I, I saw that. And I'm like, that, that's one you do at an icebreaker when you're with friends, you kind of know, and you kind of don't know, and it's a dinner party and what can we do other than, than uh, Pictionary type of thing. So I'm going to answer it in three, three ways based on, okay, um, you know, the evolution. So, right out of college the whole nine yards it would be kind of a initially i was going to say fast and the furious movie because you don't have any ties you're just out there having fun but then i switched it to hot dog the movie if you remember oh, that
0: <laughs> my friends and i were just talking about that a couple of weeks ago yeah yeah, yeah like, absolutely mm-hmm. with uh, gene simmons's wife in it yeah i yeah absolutely yeah you're, yeah. you're right because? so
1: hot dog the movie in the early phase of my life the middle phase this is going to sound pretty cliche, but this is what these movies are. Probably some um, variety of rom-coms. I'm not going to say exactly which one, but that just kind of encompasses my my life. And I guess I, I'm just thinking of this. Hugh, uh, who's the Who's the British actor, Hugh?
0: Hugh Grant. Um,
1: yeah, Hugh, Hugh Grant. There you go. Kind of quirky, kind of has his shit together, kind of doesn't. So maybe it'd be uh, some rom-coms with the Hugh Grant. Okay. And then the third one. I was talking to my brother this morning and I asked the question because I was giving him an update on the show and he said, without question. And I said, that is exactly right. Cause I couldn't think of one guardians of the galaxy. And oh, um, yeah. I think because it looks like it's a lot of fun. Nobody ever gets hurt and they got all this cool technology and fun little sidekicks like Gru and all these other people. So I think in this stage of my life, it would be guardians of the galaxy. So
0: what, what about you? That's a great one, Doug. I, I thought for sure you were going to give me like Maverick or Top Gun. <laughs> no. no, but, no.
1: That, if I did, that would have been in the first step. But I'll, I'll go with Hot Dog the Movie, a variety of rom-coms, and then Guardian of the Galaxy.
0: Okay. Um, so, so mine, the first one that came to mind was Animal House because I've always kind of lived my life like Bluto. But that was mm. – honestly – there'd be nothing new there like that is <laughs> that that movie could loosely be based on a character that's me so mm-hmm. nope so that one got thrown out the window and then there were all the superhero movies but but really eh. and, uh, you're going to laugh but because it's so not me i would love to be in a 007 movie like i would cuz i am not sophisticated i am not suave i'm not understated I could never be a spy, Doug, because I have such a big mouth. <laughs> so, you know, the idea of me being like some some very slender, understated, gentlemanly British man who who just, you know, uses this sly technology to do things for the crown, I think that would be a pretty cool character to play because God knows I could never be that understated and cool. Yeah. So, yeah, 007. Well, kind of,
1: yeah. I love it. Uh, bowl in a china shop. And, and oh, yeah. you would just somehow... The scenario would be so outlandish that it would work out for you and it would work out for his majesty's secret service. It would just work out, even though it would befuddle through. I love it.
0: You know the Mr. Bean, the Mr. Bean 007 yeah. movies were like, yeah, that's more like me. So to <laughs> to, to, to be the non to be the non satirical version, I think would be pretty incredible. Mm. Love it. Love it. All right, what do you got for us, Doug? Oh, yeah. This is a good All one. All
1: right. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. And I definitely want your input on it. Um, but over the weekend, I think technically it gets um, read or, or released today, but Warren Buffett's shareholder letter, right? I did some research, and I saw one. Um, obviously, for all Berkshire Hathaways, as you know, um, everybody, it's kind of the bellwether of investing, and everybody wants to hear what Warren Buffett has to say. Two things. Number one, the guy's 92 years old. I didn't know that. I knew he was old. Wow. I didn't know he was in his 90s, That's and he's wow. still – he's still out there hounding it. Yeah. So 92. And um, I think the letter's been going on since 1977, but I saw somewhere else that it said it's on its 60th year. So maybe that was uh, an abridged version before, but you can go back and look at what he, what he had said uh, all the way back to 1977. So here's the highlights. There were many highlights, but here's three I wanted to point out. Number one, uh, there's an underlying, uh, underlying theme that uh, Berkshire Hathaway is doing their part as a good corporate citizen. He made a reference to uh, $32 billion in taxes that his organization has paid in the last 10 years. Um, And that uh, a lot of the shareholders and and folks that are at uh, senior levels within all of his organizations, a lot of them have made uh, outward commitments to to donate um, their wealth for the, uh, the betterment of society. So those are two things that, uh, that he had made mention of. So positioning Berkshire Hathaway is, uh, being good corporate citizens. The other one is he called out a specific customer. He does that regularly, but Geico was one that was brought up and, and, the gecko, uh, so to speak. So it got pretty in depth and that's not my scene, but basically they've been losing a lot of money, um, to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and the gist of it, from what I understood, Pete, and you, and I definitely want your input on this one, is that they're going to stop fighting for less profitable business by just jamming commercials on TV time and time again. Um, and they need to adjust to the severity of claims. You know, a claim nowadays is, is not X dollars, it's Y dollars, and it's substantially higher. I think it was like 14% more expensive. So Geico's got some challenges, but he's not um, ejecting. And this one, is probably a common theme. I did not go back and look at his uh, letter from 1977 or 78 or whatever. But he said that the secret sauce, he may not have used that exact term, but long-term investing strategy is what's going to bring you um, long-term wealth. So the Bitcoins of the world, the Robin Hoods, the meme stocks, everything that's kind of trendy and and pops and draws the attention of maybe some younger investors. Uh, His overall take is, Long-term investing strategy, and the term he actually used, Pete, and I'll leave you with this, is the weeds will wither away as the flowers bloom. So I'm sure that that theme has been scripted in many, many of his shareholder letters. But uh, those were three things that caught my attention when I looked at it this morning. So Pete, I know you've seen it or heard of it. So for this iteration, um, what's your thoughts on those take and anything else you want to add?
0: I will... Um... I'll start off with the whole Geico thing and cars. So I remember the value of my very first car. I bought the Husk of it for about $300. And I put in like another $500 of parts and the rest was sweat equity. And I had insurance on it. And when it died, when I, I hit a telephone pole with it an ice storm and they totaled it, I think I got a check for about $400, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I just saw um, on, on the Twitter today, someone's got a Jeep out there, like one of these big new Jeep Wagoneer, whatever they are, for like $120,000 is out there. Insuring cars today is intensely expensive because the cars are so expensive. You have so mm-hmm. much more to lose. Drivers are not getting any more. Is the driving experience any safer? So is is a human being any less likely to be dangerous on the road? Absolutely not. The, the, The likelihood of people being more likely to damage that very expensive ride is higher. So the thing that we're ensuring is getting more and more expensive. The reason for it getting busted up is more and more likely to be distracted and to mess something up. So I don't know that car insurance is necessarily a business that I would want to I would want to get involved in. Mm. I'm just doing the math in my head here, right? Yeah. I don't know if that's the... So I can see where Mr. Buffett has his concerns, you know? Um, that's, that's an interesting one, you know? Yeah, that's, uh, and then, that's a good point. And that's know, a really excellent point. And for a while now, I've been saying that all that NFTs and Bitcoin, it's all a get-rich-quick scheme. It's all... And, for, and all get rich quick schemes have one thing in common: the person who gets in the earliest and gets out on top gets rich quick. And everybody else is sit, you know, is, is left sitting there with a with a, a pocket full of magic beans. Uh, so what he's saying is is correct. There is money to be made. There is always money to be made with this stuff. And money to be made on the ancillary lessons that we learn, as I've said over and over and over again, particularly with 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 the with the 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 currency, the bitcoins of the world, so much is to be learned from the technology that's associated with this. So much is to be learned in the use and the value, the value proposition of it, where there is a lot of technology and value. where I don't quite understand the validity from a, an investment standpoint. It's why I ought to buy Keenan Coin or Global Trade This Wheat Coin, yeah. Um, and NFTs. Uh, I'll just screen stri- So yeah, the weeds will wither and the the flowers will appear. It's a it's kind of a dodgy metaphor, but buy things that make sense. Mm-hmm. Buy things that are going to have a long term use and uh, and stick to them because those long-term investments will matter. So uh, I joke all the time. I'll be driving around with, with, with Amy and I'll say, well, that sounds like the kind of business that Berkshire Hathaway would buy. And then I find out they own it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right. Well, this is the fourth leg of the epic show. So this is the anchor. You're the anchor man, so you got to bring it home.
0: Oh, no, 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 no. I opened. So you have the next one and then I'm last.
1: Well, we just did that. I got oh. topic was uh was BP and my second one was Warren Buffett. So you are Oh no 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 uh, but you you didn't do halftime. Oh shit. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> oh see um this is becoming epic. See, it is epic in your epic failure. That's exactly yeah. what it was, man. There you go. you gotta right, better, do your halftime. I better sit up straight. So this is my halftime. We'll keep it short and sweet. So um as this I'm going to brush over this one super fast, and then we're going to get to the question. Right. So as you, as everybody may have known, Dilbert is no longer a comic strip that is uh, published across the country. I'm sure there's zero papers that are now carrying it. So my question to you, Pete, is you got to go back a long way. you got to pull out when you used to get the Sunday paper. But what are some of your favorite comic strips?
0: Well, my, mine are pretty pretty easy, man. So I, I was a big fan of Calvin and Hobbes uh, because it was – you know, he's just a, he's like a modern dentist and menace. So I dug him very much. I loved Garfield when I was mm-hmm. a kid. So younger, younger Pete loved Garfield a lot. Absolutely loved Bloom County. Mm. If you remember Bloom County, do you remember Bloom yeah. County? Yep. Yeah, I do. Yeah. But um, Pete in his 30s fell in love with a comic that was called Get Fuzzy. And Get Fuzzy was about a guy named Darby who owned a Sharpay and a Siamese cat. The Siamese cat was an absolute dick, and his Sharpay was really nice, and Darby played rugby. Um, Darby went to Colby College. He really did play rugby for a rugby team in Boston called the Irish Wolfhounds. So it was a real guy, a real person. And Pete Minto really played rugby against him. Um, mm. But it was a nationally syndicated uh, a naturally kid comic comic and he was it was very funny so he carried around his siamese cat in a um in a baby bjorn um <laughs> yeah. and his cat was just a jerk it was Ooh. a jerk and the sharpay was just sort of this kind nice his, his name satchel it was a really nice dog but darby could not get his life together with ladies or anything else because his pets were just jackasses and yeah. um all he did was like play rugby drink beer and try to have a real life. And it was like, you know, every guy I knew, like every guy I knew. But get yeah. fuzzy was excellent. Yeah. Um yeah, and and now um I also like non sequitur was also another um another one that I really enjoyed. But um hmm. how about you, Doug? What were your favorites?
1: Well, it's funny because two of them are the ones that you have already said. So Calvin and Hobbes was a good uh, one.
0: Yeah, great stuff. And
1: they have that epic, like if anybody says Calvin and Hobbes, you think of them coming down the uh the roller coaster where they're both leaning back yeah. and like li- life is hitting them at full speed so i like that one and i love garfield um because he's the og of just could give two bleeps right oh, yeah. i mean he could give two you know what i wish we could just drop drop f bombs on this thing but he was the uh, the original gangster on taking that mentality on life and just saying here's what it is yeah. and in in i didn't quite get it whenever you read it now, but in hindsight, um, amazing
0: perspective. So I would say, uh, Garfield, number one, Calvin and Hobbes, number two. Doug, if I could just take a second, my favorite Calvin and Hobbes ever. I actually, um, I go to comic cons cause I'm cool. I, I bought a, um, a very large reproduction of it and I got it autographed. So I have it autographed by, by the original artist. Mm-hmm. It's the one where the dad comes home and he, um, the car comes into the parking lot and uh, Calvin has made the snowman to make it look like the car has run into one of the snowmen and the head has fallen off and all going, ah! I, I, I love that one so much because it is... It is the exact kind of horrible thing that I would love to have done if I would have thought it up when I was his age, like this horror scene of a snowman being run over. Um, I absolutely loved it. So that's my favorite. All right. So um, we've had enough time now between the beginnings of the U.S.-Chinese trade war and where we are now that it has been blessed, if you will, by both economists and political scientists both where they feel that they can study it. and There mm-hmm. have been some pretty big studies that have come out over the course of the past two weeks on both sides of the ocean, both in China and the United States, some academics, some run by the governments, um, and some that have been done by third parties that can allow us to see what the impacts of this trade war have related to. So just going over that, here's what we can tell you from a nonpartisan, mostly business-focused impact. The um, United States seems to have taken the opportunity of this trade war to bring back some business. So they're looking at nearshoring, mostly in the face of taking some production back to Mexico and moving a lot of business out of China into different parts of the world to strengthen and make a more resilient supply chain. Now, when I say a lot of business, it's all relative. We're, we've still got a tremendous amount of business in China, a tremendous amount of production in China. And a lot of that business has moved to parts of the world in Asia, in places like Vietnam, Cambodia, uh, Taiwan, Indonesia, Malaysia, parts of Asia that are still relatively under the sphere of influence of China. And a lot of the raw material is still coming from China. So there is still money, there is still influence, there is still parts of the logistics stream that go back to China. Another interesting part of the um, analysis is that the transportation and supply chain is still controlled by Chinese ships, Chinese businesses, and Chinese banks. So although production is still being controlled by Chinese influence, it would not move to the United States without some sort of hand of the Chinese moving it there. Chinese um, business is now under more scrutiny than ever before by American business. And it is American executives who are beginning to see China as a threat to stable American business. On the other side of this analysis are Chinese businesses who are beginning to see America scrutinize the use of uh, of these Chinese businesses and are wary of what the future holds. So more and more Chinese businesses who are concerned about the future of sort of this bilateral and the concept of decoupling between these two. So the tensions are very real and the concern is very real. And there are more and more Chinese companies who are very, very concerned about what the future holds. So Mm -hmm. um, I guess the bottom line here, Doug, is that more Chinese businesses see doom and gloom in the future and more American businesses are taking steps to decouple themselves from China than ever before. But in reality, most of the ways that they're decoupling still have a tremendous amount of um, connection to these Chinese companies. So I think that's gonna be the next step is smarter American companies realizing that the moves that they're making to not be associated with Chinese companies still have an association to Chinese companies, banks, and controlled by Chinese CCP.
1: Mm, Interesting. So two things came to mind when you uh, shot this one over. Number one is that America is one uh, selling channel and one consumer in the world. Right, this show is called Global Trade. This week, so uh, in some instances that we've seen is China's like okay, U.S., you're not interested in buying it. The tariffs, you're not, you're, um, uh, you know, slowing down. We got a lot of other people in the world that we can sell to, right? So I think that that has created a little bit of stability. All the things you spoke about with being more a little uncertain in the future, I think is valid. But I I think if you looked at who was less impacted. My personal belief, it's China because their, their buyer and their customer is just not the United States of America. It's the global world. And so they'll just divert other things and sell the same items to, to other parts of, uh, of the world. The other piece is that there's one thing that got in the middle uh, of all of these trade uh, barriers and tariffs. Uh, it was called COVID, which kind of threw a loop on any type of statistical analysis that could probably provide good perspective So um, I think that a couple more years out, we'll be able to see what it looks like. But the ebbs and flows of the world and the economy, as we know, is like a gigantic ocean. And so there's going to be factors that will impact post-COVID, which may be able to make uh, the pre-COVID decisions uh, a little more uh, difficult to to really say. So COVID kind of, I think, messed up the whole math, so to speak, and the analysis of it to say who won, who lost, was it good, was it bad? Um, But I think we'll be able to shake that out in a couple more years to kind of see where we stand. So those are the two things that popped in my mind uh, for this one.
0: Yeah. I think people are very quick to try to come to a conclusion. We're nowhere near this thing being done.
1: Yeah. I think you nailed it right there. People need something right here and right now because you can get it right here and right now on this phone. So. You know what, Pete? I think that's it. Epic, we'll let our uh, listeners decide that um, if it was Epic. If it's all lowercase Epic, if there's an uppercase E and the rest lowercase. But one thing, Pete, is it will be in Times New Roman font. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see that. So give us your thoughts on the show. We really appreciate it. Can't thank uh, Cap Logistics enough, as I mentioned, to give us the soapbox to come on. And um, I think that's it, Pete. So we will wrap it up. And uh, thanks for another great edition of Global Trade this week.
0: See you later. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.